Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Home Builders. We're going to go ahead and get started. Okay, good. All right, let's go ahead and read our verse together today. It's Titus 3, 3, three and 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. All right. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right, <laughs> Yeah, amen. Come on. We're talking about Abraham today. And he was specially blessed by God. Abraham is spiritually our father because of his faith. Because he believed in God and then acted upon it. We see this throughout the Old as well as the New Testament. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. If you believe, everyone kind of think about it. If you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, if you've accepted him as your savior, you're trusting in what he did on that cross, it is credited to you. Your faith is credited to you as righteousness. Let me ask a question. What is the value of a spiritual legacy? I think everybody probably has a lesson sheet, but does anyone not have a lesson sheet? And you need one. Anybody? You guys are always amazing. So, yeah, no. Okay, sweet. Um, is there a spiritual legacy in your family? Is there a spiritual legacy in your family? I know my... My brother who lives in California, he started this when he lived in the Boston, Massachusetts area. He's our family genealogist. And literally he's, I mean, we, we have a, a family genealogy page and, and we learn about our family's history. And uh, the spiritual legacy, I'm learning things about my ancestors that I had no clue about. Um, and where they came from in this and, the early 1700s, even into the 1600s, he's went back and, and been able to give us information about the spiritual legacies of our family and the churches they were a part of and ministered in. And, and uh, even the church that I got saved in, my uh, great-grandfather with horse and buggy d dug the footers to that church. Um, even though now it, it doesn't have a spiritual legacy that it did then, you know, God's legacy is there. <laughs> Anyone in here? Do you have a spiritual legacy in your family? Explain briefly. Yeah. Uh, my great-grandfather was a circuit-riding preacher, and his wife uh, taught him how to read. And she taught him from the Bible, and then he went from there. That's amazing. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. My great-grandfather came home from Germany in the late 1800s, and when he was traveling, someone stuck a Bible in his with his luggage, and he arrived here and didn't know anybody, so he started reading the Bible and discovered what was in the Bible it was not what he was hearing from the pulpit and came to Christ. That. And then he heard about a church that was 30 miles away, so he told his wife he was going to walk to the church, and he walked all day Saturday, 
fellowship with the church people on Sunday and came home on Monday and said, we're going to go there. And once a month, first Sunday of the month, he would go with the wife and seven kids in Buckboard to travel for a weekend to go to that church, um, which is then the pastor saw the zeal and he had, he started bringing people with him. So the pastor came to where my grandfather lived and they started my home church. And the legacy continued because I met my wife to the church that my grandfather went to. And now we have our seven kids and the legacy has continued. Uh, this summer will be the 100th anniversary of the Poetry reunion. And when we gather, we sing hymns and pray together. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. 30 miles. Um, anyone want to complain about Ward's Road anymore? <laughs> Gonna do it anyway, but yeah. Yes. So my ancestors came over um, into South Georgia in the area around Savannah in the mid-1700s. They were, a lot of them were displaced because of the ongoing conflict between Protestants and Catholics in Germany and, and Austria and Switzerland. And so what would happen is, depending on which side was in charge, the others could bear the consequences. And so when they were displaced, um, in that particular case, King George I became aware of it, made a way for them into the colony, and some came over. And so that was mid-1700s. They on site on the Savannah River above Savannah, they built a church that is now the longest continuously um, serving Lutheran church in the U.S. And we, um, you know, just a, a rich legacy there on my mom's side of, of all those families. They're known as Salzburgers. It's kind of a pretty well known in that area. And we were able to go back there this past year and to, to worship there and to go in and sit down and realize, okay, my ancestors have been worshiping in this church for, you know, 270 years or so. That's, that was a pretty special time. That, that's pretty special. I thought it's on the hand. We'll have one more. Anybody else? Yeah. Mine doesn't go back that, quite that far, but uh, my grandmother uh, just laid in bed one night and she said, if there's a God, something needs to change in my in my life, in my husband's life, in my family's life. And uh, that next week, there was an outdoor evangelism meeting, and my grandfather just happened to be walking by and heard, not actually walking by, but yeah. providentially walking by and, and heard the, the gospel preached. He came home the next night, took his wife and his two kids, which would have been my mom and, her, and my uncle, and it went back, and the whole family got saved within those two days. And uh, that began the spiritual legacy of our, our family in about 1955. Yeah. Wow. Does it matter what your parents, grandparents, and great parents believed? <laughs> Why? I mean, don't people today say, you know, it doesn't matter what people believe, it, you know, as long as they don't hurt somebody else. <laughs> You hear that all the time. Oh, it doesn't matter what anybody believes. As long as they don't hurt somebody. Problem is, is what? Why is it important in their, what they believe? Because those are the people that you hang out with. Those are the people you look up to. Yeah. All those things. You know, it's, it's who you are with. The influencers of your life. 
And those people influence what you do and what you believe. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 7. Someone read that for me. Love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your Psalm 78, 4 says, We will not hide from them, hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Said, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What we believe in, is important, but also what we do to pass it on. Are we, what kind of a spiritual legacy are we passing on to our children and our grandchildren, those that are in our lives? What should one do if a spiritual legacy is not in their family? Is there anyone in here who you are a first-generation Christian? In other words, your parents were not Christians, your grandparents weren't Christians. You are the first Christian in your family. Four of you in here. All men. What, we, what do you do when you don't have that spiritual legacy? Create one. Create one. How do you create it? That's a great statement. You're right on the money there. Well, uh, I recognize that the, uh, the scriptures do say that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the, uh, you know, the third and fourth generation. You said in here. Yeah. And this was it. Yeah. You read your Bible, you go to church, you associate with other Christians. You read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you associate with other Christians, and you create that what? Model. That, that model, that legacy. That you, it's like, okay, it, you know, I, I watch them do it. Now, I can guarantee you, okay, I was not perfect dad. I wasn't. I made mistakes. Um, I probably, you know, you may have too, I don't know. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes when you're not perfect, it's hard. You know, one of the things I pray for my girls and their spouses, but the fact for my girls, is that when dad screws up, that it doesn't become a reason why but they use me as an example of not being a follower of Christ or to not continue on. You know, I don't remember as a, you know, and, and when I, in the areas that I screwed up typically is when I would discipline probably too much or too hard. You know, because you're trying to figure out how to do it. You don't always do that right. And I'm sure, you know, that they probably remember some of those things. But, but the bottom line is, is that I think they all know that I love them unconditionally, but still, you know, that, that spiritual legacy, you want to be able to pass that on. And, and we try to do that same thing with the, now our grandchildren. Pass on this legacy because there's no greater joy that I have than to see my children and their spouses and our grandchildren coming to know the Lord, staying in his word, and staying in church, and staying in the body of Christ. Those, that, that brings you joy, does it not? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, but that doesn't mean, I wasn't perfect, neither are they. Sorry. <laughs> okay, and that's okay. There's no judgment. There's encouragement. There's no pointing fingers. 
You know, we don't point fingers. You know, it, it's, no, we, we're doing this thing together. We're learning together. We're growing together. The Jewish people would believe that Abraham received at least three things in his revelation with God. Now, let me just say this. When you read my lessons, uh, I, you can see, I, I actually, when I go in and put my lessons together like this, you know how you have, you know, if you write a paper for college or school, you have a one-inch margin, right? Mine are point two. <laughs> and sometimes I, I don't even get to word it the way I want to word it because otherwise it would go on to the next page. And I don't want to do that. I want to keep it with simple so it fits in your Bible and it looks, you know, you can keep it that way. But so when I use the word Jews, I'm not trying to be derogatory. The Jewish people, okay? He received, they believed three things about Abraham. He received the confirmation that he was righteous from the Lord. Okay? Abraham was righteous. Yep, we got that. And that he received an inheritance from the Lord. Okay? And that he received a posterity from the Lord. And we're going to look at these three things um, this morning. Abraham was declared righteous before the Lord. Romans 4, 1 through 12. When... What then shall we say of that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Okay? In other words, was it righteousness by works or by faith? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, okay? In other words, if he was, if he was made righteous by what he did, which the Jewish people tended to believe, that it's what we do and not who we believe that makes us righteous. It's these things that we're doing. Not that those should be pointing to us. So I am thrilled with Mike in, in, in the Bible study on Saturday morning. And if you're not connected, connect with them. That would be an amazing study. Like maybe I'll have you do it for the next six weeks. I get it. Just kidding. Because um, I would love to be a part of that. You know, um, Abraham was justified by works when he had, he would have something to boast about. But not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works. How many of you in here work? Okay. Do you do that for free? Other than you ladies who serve at home. Only it's not free. It costs. <laughs> Yep. When I, when I used to back in the day when I actually got a physical check and I'd go to the bank with it. Typically, what I would do is I'd walk home, I'd have my check, and I'd go. Because <laughs> she heard the whole thing. See, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. If you went, if, 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 if during, on payday, your, your boss came to you and said, I'm sorry, we're not paying you anymore, but we expect you to come to work. Would you have a problem with that? Why? Because they're obligated to pay me. See, the thing is, is if salvation comes by works, you owe me, God, because I've done it. Look at what I've done. And you know how many people out there believe that they are saved by what they do? Well, I'm a pretty good person. Ding, 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 ding. You know, I, I haven't done anything as bad as somebody else. I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I, 
I go to church or I, 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 I'm a deacon or I do this or do that. We begin to think that our righteousness, our relationship with God, our relationship to heaven is based on what we do. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those, David speaking, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. And can I get an amen from that? Amen. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. And he received circumcision as a sign of a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Don't you love the Romans? (laughs) So why was Abraham declared righteous? Was it because of his works or his faith? It was what? And so are you. And so am I. It's by our faith. What we believe. That's why what we believe is so important. If it was because of his works, he could boast. Someone read for me Ephesians 29, a familiar passage. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one can boast. See, this is by by faith. It's not by what we do, because then we would think that, uh, you know, you owe me God, this idea, right? See, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Credited means to put to one's account. It is deposited in our spiritual bank account. Okay? Store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and thieves break through and steal. We are already in our sanctification process positionally given that spiritual bank account in heaven. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. That righteousness is our bank account. This is what we have. It's his righteousness, but it's on our account. That's, what the, that's why these words are so important. When you hear the word, how many of you in here have been forgiven by the Lord? Amen. Amen. Okay. And again, as a reminder to all of us, forgiveness is an accounting term. That means to cancel the debt. So if your debt has been forgiven, you don't owe anything. Okay. And I've used that illustration many times in here. Okay, if you owe something and you go to pay it off and the banker looks at you and goes, I'm sorry, uh, what are you giving us this money for? My debt. You don't have any debt. It's been paid in full. Would you go, no, 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 no. I want to pay more. 
Doggone it, I want to pay more. I'm going to give you money to the bank. Sorry, I'm getting a little excited there. They would think you're crazy. But that's the attitude of the person who thinks, you know what? I've got to do something in order to earn my way in heaven. I've got to pay for this. I want to do it because it's all about me. No, there's no boasting with the Lord. Wasn't works part of it? No. See, that's why Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. See, our salvation should produce good works is not the result of good works. Okay? If it's earned, then it's not a gift. We cannot say to God, you owe me. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Someone read that for me. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. God justifies the ungodly. Sins were not taken away. In the Old Testament, that's what I wanted to put here, but I would have extended it on to the second page. I didn't want to do that, so I figured I'd just explain it now. In the Old Testament, sins were not taken away. They were covered. They were taken away at the cross. So in the Old Testament, Psalm 32, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, that's why in the imagery of the Old Testament and Passover, the imagery was we were covered by the blood. Their sin was covered by the blood. And it was nothing that they did to earn it. But that's, that the blood of that sacrifice ultimately was it covered their sin. But when Jesus died on the cross, he took that sin away. He became sin so that he could give us his righteousness. He took our sin. But was Abraham righteous by his circumcision? No. Abraham was declared righteous before circumcision. Circumcision was an outward sign of his indwelling faith. The same can be said about baptism today. Baptism doesn't save you. Okay? But it's the image. Okay? Circumcision, is, that's an outward expression. But it's really circumcision of the heart. See, baptism, baptism is the symbol, and that's why... It's so important that, that baptizo can mean to immerse, in some cases to pour. Um, so that's why some believe in you know, pouring or sprinkling, things like this, because there's some imagery that, that has there. But the real imagery of baptism is the symbol of death. That when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, and I try to say this as often as I can when I do the baptism, that when you go under the water, it's a symbol of dying to self. <laughs> that you say, I no longer want to live my life the way I want to live it. I'm dying. That's why Romans 6 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound or increase? God forbid. How shall we that died to sin 
live any longer in it. So when we get uh, go under the whip, uh, under the water, it's a symbol of us dying. I'm dying to myself. Lord, I don't want to live my life. Now, does Lou at times want to live the way Lou wants to live and not the way the Lord wants to live? Yeah. But that's not my ultimate heart and passion. That's why when I was baptized, I wanted to tell everybody it was a symbol. And this is why when our children get baptized, we want to continually rehearse this with them. That they understand what they did. As a, ch as a child, it's like how many times you take your child to some place for vacation, a really special place. Ten years later, you're talking about it and your child goes, nah, I don't even remember that. Well, what do you mean? I spent a lot of money on that vacation. Come on. That's why we rehearse it. That's why we talk about it. That's why Deuteronomy says that you put it in the forefront of their heads, their hearts, that they see it constantly as a reminder. We, we rehearse this with ourselves. That's why the power of you coming here today isn't just for food and fellowship, though that's good. It's to rehearse, to remember, to be reminded of, to learn and, and understand what it is that God has done for us so that when we go out of here, we can face the world and live. But the preacher doesn't keep the person under the water. Because they're no longer dead. They're raised because they now have the Holy Spirit of God living them and then to have a new life in Christ. I am a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. And that's the beauty of it. And this is the whole idea of what's going on. When I went under the water, I died to myself. Now I want to live for the Lord, and it's evidenced by my good works. Abraham received an inheritance from God. 13 to 16. It was not uh, through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes through by faith. For those who depend on the law are heirs. Okay? Faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. So that it may be by grace and may, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offsprings. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have faith, the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So Abraham received an inheritance from God. Abraham received the promise an heir of the world. He was an heir of the world. In other words, that he would receive his descendants after him, those by faith who trusted him. They are heir of this world. What did the Jews assume? What did the Jewish people assume? That they would take over the world. Okay, right? Didn't they expect Jesus not to die on a cross? They wanted salvation in their mind. Yeshua was, we're going to become an army, and we're going to take over the world. All of his enemies will be slaughtered, and the Jewish people will reign supreme. Okay? That they would take over the world. But Paul is declaring that he was a spiritual heir over the whole world. He would be the father of all who believe by faith. And Abraham received a posterity from God. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. 
He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead. That's symbol again. And calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. What was against all hope? What did he have faith about? Childbirth. Childbirth. That he would have a child. They were childless. So shall your, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced, faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Amen. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification to declare us righteous. So he received a posterity from God. He would be the father of many nations, not religions. In other words, he's the spiritual leader of many nations. Okay? He's all those who have put their faith in him. But some look at him and say, well, he's the father of Christianity, right? Yes or no? Who else is he the father of? Judaism. The Jews. Who else is he the father of? Islam. Islam. And so some people interpret this as, oh, well, he's the father of Islam, Judaism, Christianity. No. He's not their father. They claim him as their father, okay, because of Isaac and Ishmael. And they're biologically his descendants. But is Paul only talking about physical descendancy? No. no. He's talking about the spiritual. The spiritual legacy that's there. He received it because he believed God even against all hope. Having children was a miracle. We can believe God for miracles as well. He did not waver, though his miracle took 25 years to take place. 20 Five years. Genesis 12, 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Those two passages, if you go back, it was 25 years later. Now think about this. It just said in the scriptures that Abraham did not waver in his faith. How long would it have taken me to waver? How long would it have taken me to say, God, you promised me a child. I was old then. Are you kidding me? 25 years. How long are we going to wait for God to perform the miracle in your life? What do you need that you're waiting for? And you're saying, but God, we're in the instant generation. 
Do it now. Do it now. Save them now. Heal them now. Do this now. I, I demand it, or I don't believe. Bill. His faith even continued, of course, past, past that point, because he even offered Isaac as a sacrifice, which is also part of his faith. Absolutely. See, there's the evidence of his faith. He not only believed God, but then demonstrated it by his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. That's the faith that works. And he believed God regardless, even though he was going to sacrifice his son. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. It was written not for Abraham alone, but for us. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone. But for you and me. To whom God will credit righteousness. He will credit Righteousness. I know you've heard me say this before, but Chuck Swindoll said, when you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're as righteous as you will ever be. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more righteous, and there's nothing you can do to make yourself less righteous. Because it's not your righteousness. Otherwise, you'd have to change the scriptures. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be light pink. <laughs> Folks, we're not like pink. We have been saved. We've been declared righteous. We've been justified. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart by God. You're a joint heir with Jesus. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the spiritual legacy in my life. Thank you that my parents took me to church. And at nine years of age, the only time in 18 years I can remember that a gospel invitation was ever given, I heard that you loved me, that Jesus died for me, he was buried and rose again for me. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That was 50 years ago, Lord. I'm sorry that I'm not closer to you than I am right now. But I am not where I could be. Thank you for these folks that have been here today. And, and I pray your Holy Spirit will continue to teach us the doctrines of this book. That was written to Jews and Gentiles so that we understand the, the gospel and what that means. That we have been transformed by faith and have been given righteousness. Now, Lord, when we leave this place, help us to live who we are, not fall back on the flesh. May we walk in your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love y'all. Have a great week.